Let's ask God to lead us in his word today. Father, we thank you that you've given us your written word as well as your creation. Thank you for your love and your steadfastness, your faithfulness, your patience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We read a familiar psalm today. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfastness, love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. The word of the Lord. Good morning. It is a joy to be here with all of you, um, to be especially a delight to be able to bring God's word this morning um, with all of you. Um, so thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the support that you've given each of us, uh, my family, as we've uh, gotten to meet some of you, um, and uh, for the prayers that have been offered. It's really meant a lot, and so we're profoundly grateful. Um, as we begin, um, I want to just start with a question. Have you ever felt like you were supposed to be excited about something, but you just weren't? Okay, you, got, you guys have better memories of that than I do. I, I was like not ready for a chuckle there. Um, <laughs> so maybe uh, it's, your, you know, it's a big birthday year. I just turned 30, um, and you're feeling like, okay, I'm supposed to be excited, and I'm just not. Or you're gearing up for graduation, and you know you're supposed to be happy about that, that things are ending and you're going to move on, but you're just not excited about it. There's all sorts of things about that. Um, but here, just push a little bit closer to home. Have you ever had that with God? You know you're supposed to be excited about worship, excited about reading the Bible, about spending time with the Lord in prayer, and yet you don't. So one of the things that uh, makes that not a unique experience is the fact that as a culture, we are um, characterized by, uh, this is going to sound intense, we're characterized by what uh, the monks would call one of the seven deadly sins, um, which is acedia, or sloth. Um, acedia, typically, historically, is um, a kind of spiritual apathy. It's boredom with the things of God. It usually comes from over-familiarity, uh, but it can also come from other things, um, Another way to talk about it, uh, it's kind of like spiritual sleepwalking. You, you wake up and you wonder, wait, what, 
what happened while I was asleep. And sometimes we have those moments, and those are what we call mountaintop experiences, where we wake up and we realize we've been asleep. So sometimes we are bored with God because we have, um, or we're not bored, missing that sort of spirit, feeling um, not excited about worship. We're experiencing that sort of spiritual apathy. It can be because we've suffered. That's one of the most common reasons to go through that experience. Um, when you have suffered greatly, which most of us, all of us have, I don't think it's possible to make it very far in life without experiencing that in some way or another. That's one way. You are so consumed by what the suffering has wrought in your life that it can make it hard to be excited about worship or about the things of God. Sometimes we have doubts. We just have questions. And so those doubts can be like big clouds that get in the way of our view of the sky. We can be so focused on the clouds that we miss the fact that there's a larger reality. And other times, um, it's because we're too busy. It's simple. We're just too busy. We've got too many things going on, and our schedules are so full that when it comes time to read our Bible or to pray or to come to worship, we just our brains are still somewhere else. So for all these reasons, and those are just three, we can experience... Uh, hesitation about being excited about worship. And now, um, I love that y'all have been doing more psalm reading in worship. I think that's excellent. Um, and I think maybe even Pastor Jim has mentioned the John Calvin quote, uh, where he says that the psalms are an anatomy of the human heart. They give us uh, language for what we read that quote um, earlier. Uh, every experience, every emotional experience we can have is given language in the Psalms. And Psalm 100 is uh, the kind of psalm that takes our spiritual apathy and um, maybe on the face of it, it seems kind of boisterous or like uh, maybe too loud. But what it does is it calls us to worship. If we're sleepwalking, it wakes us up. And it does so um, not subtly, right? Seven times in this psalm, it's going to tell us what to do. It's going to tell us how to praise. And those, um, over and over again, this is going to train our hearts uh, to worship. So the question that I want to ask this morning, and we're going to try to answer together, is uh, if, if this is our experience, uh, maybe not every day, but often, uh, that we experience spiritual apathy, acedia, sleepwalking through our spiritual life, and we have, on the other hand, Psalm 100, do we rejoice in God with those two competing realities? So how do we rejoice in God? Now, just looking at that question, how do we rejoice in God? We need at least two things to understand that. We need to know who God is, who's this God that we're talking about, but also uh, what rejoicing looks like. So we're going to do that. Uh, we're going to look at the God of joy and the joy of God's people. So if you're the kind of person who takes notes, that's my two points. Um, not three, I'm weird like that. So I also need to not uh, think that this mic is what's uh, catching my voice. Um, so first thing I want to look at is the God of joy. Okay. 
the God of joy. So we want to know, uh, how do we rejoice in God? In order to get to that point, we need to know who God is. So when we look at this psalm, okay, we're, we're asking the question, uh, how do we rejoice in God? Who is God? So we look at the psalm, and we look at, there's only five verses, so it's nice and short. We can just kind of scan it really quickly, and we see, okay, where does it say something about God? Oh, there we go, verse 3. Verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. Okay, so what is the picture that we get of God in this psalm? Well, when we look at verse 3, right there, it says, know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. So there are um, two big things I want to say about what the psalm says about God. The first thing is that God is the creator. He's the creator. Uh, this is such a broad point, uh, and I could spend uh, way too much time talking about God as creator. It's one of my personal, uh, if you're going to ask me about this later, uh, it's where I'm going to be the most nerdy, I'll just be honest. So, um, but God is the creator. Traditionally, the Christian tradition has taught and scripture teaches that God creates from nothing. That is a theological point that says that God did not need help when he made creation. He didn't have some pre-existing stuff that he borrowed from in order to make the world. Before creation, there was God, and that's it. So, God is the creator. Um, he's the one who made us, and that is uh, the first thing we find about God, is that he's the creator. What is interesting, and I made sure to ask Pastor Jim about this kind of thing, um, I wouldn't normally do this in a sermon, um, but I hear that you might have um, a little bit of extra nerdiness. So I'm going to go there. Um, so the, if, if the first thing is God made us, um, there's an interesting uh, thing. If you're looking in, your, in uh, most English Bibles, uh, if you look at verse 3, there might be a little footnote, like a little A or something. Um, I don't think that's in the bulletin, but that's in the pew Bibles, I know that. Um, and that little A leads you to a footnote. I love footnotes. And it says, um, other readings might say, and not we ourselves. Um, so that, that line, and we are his, could also, there's another version of that that's going to say, or not we ourselves. And what that is, is in the ancient world, when you're reading in a synagogue, so in the first century, for example, if you're reading in a synagogue, and you're the, you're the designated scripture reader in church. Um, you are reading the text. You've got the scroll in front of you. And there's the part that's written called the kativ. And then there's another section next to it, which is called the kare, which is what you read. So it'll have like special directions. So sometimes that would be like, hey, this portion, uh, for whatever reason, read this. Don't read what's written. Um, and our translations are good. And so they translate what's actually written. But what's interesting is that what's read is this line, and not we ourselves. So it's God who made us, and not we ourselves. And that, for like most of history, was a totally understandable decision, because, and not we ourselves, makes no sense, right? God made us, and not we ourselves. That's obvious. That's a footnote that is designed for our time, because we are the ones who are like, wait, 
we didn't make ourselves? That's news. I didn't realize this. And we, I mean, we live in a world where you are encouraged in all sorts of ways to create your own identity, and to craft your Instagram profile. And I'm going to pick on Silicon Valley, but like, that's, uh, that's the kind of thing that we're encouraged to do a lot of times, and in various ways. Our choices are viewed not just as things that we've decided to do with the responsibility that God has given us, but they're rather things that we have done that have created our identities. And so, um, this is important, that this psalm says both we are his and we didn't make ourselves. Now, uh, just as a side thing about we are his, um, that can maybe sound a little bit um, scary to say God made us and we are his. Um, we don't like maybe our instincts. If you're like me, are, uh, I don't want to be stand, is that for the first audience of this psalm, that made them stand up tall. That was dignifying. Because there is uh, a very small percentage of people in the ancient world who were um, powerful or had influence. Most people were uh, at the mercy of whoever was in power. And so to say, the one who's in charge of us, he's the one who made everything. That's dignity. That's honor for that. So we have to hear that as good news. Um, because also, just we'll get there, but our self-created identities can't love you. Your, your curated self doesn't love you. And the one who made you does. So, first thing is that God is the creator. The second thing that we learn about God in this psalm is that he is the covenant maker. So he's the creator and he's the covenant maker. Um, so um, it's right there actually in what we just read. We are his people and he is our God. That's a classic formula throughout the Bible. That's the formula that's used to talk about God's special relationship with his people. It's a covenant relationship, which that is, if you, don't, if you aren't familiar with the language of covenant, it's uh, like a contract, but it's more personal. And it's uh, like an ordinary relationship, except for it's deeper and more sturdy. And so this is the kind of relationship that God has entered into with his people. And in the psalm, we see that we get that same language. We are his people. We belong to him because he's promised to. But that's not the only way we see that. Um, if you look at the psalm, what is the name that is given to God the most? Verse 1, the Lord. Verse 2, the Lord. Verse 3, the Lord. Verse 5, the Lord. And if you've got your Bible in front of you and you see that it's like all caps, what that is doing is referring to God's name. Did you know God had a name? Yeah, I hope so. Um, the name, uh, not pronounceable. And um, but it's the name that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, when he made a promise to Moses that I will make you into a nation, I will make you a people. And that's continuing the promise that was given to Abraham. We actually read about that earlier um, in, I think it was our psalm reading, so it's everywhere. Um, so this is the, the God with whom we're dealing with. Uh, this is the one who made us. And that, uh, one more thing about that covenant, if I can just say it. Um, in verse 5, 
and that so the, the, the Lord who made a promise is good. And then it goes on and it says, his steadfast love endures forever, his faithfulness to all generations. Now, what's important about that is that it is paraphrasing the most quoted portion of the Bible by the Bible. So if you're like wondering, what's the greatest hit of the Old Testament? It's Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, which says, which says, the Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He shows mercy to gener- thousands of generations. This is the, the like chorus that we hear about God. Um, so when we hear that God is the covenant maker, that means that he is the one who is loving and faithful to all generations. This is the Lord. Uh, this is whose we are. Um, so how do we rejoice in God? First thing to know is that God made us to glorify him. God made us to glorify him as his people. So this is uh, the language of Psalm 100 gets echoed uh, in some catechisms that we're familiar with. Um, So in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, what's the chief end of humanity? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And then in the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we ask, what is our only hope in life and in death? And it's that we belong to God. So belonging to God, being created to enjoy him. This is all like, this is the water we're swimming in, right? And this is the God who we rejoice in. You with me? Okay. This is the God that we worship. This is the God that we know, the one to whom we belong. Now, um, just a little quick point of application here. Um, If you belong to this God and you're wondering how I can rejoice in him, we're going to get practical in a minute, but just to make sure that you realize. I love theology is practical to me, so we'll do some theology here. The fact that God made everything out of nothing, that same God who made everything out of nothing can make joy where there is no joy. That is not too difficult for him. And the same God who makes a covenant promises that he will always be with you and that he will give you a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. So this is central to who God is. Everything about what we've been made to be is about reason. If this is who made us, and this is what he made us for, now you're like, okay, so what? Where's the practical? Um, And I appreciate the, the nearness to the campus and the history of this church means that you're hopefully not all asking that question all the time. Uh, But it is a good question to ask, and I think we need to ask that question. Uh, So don't let me stay in my professor classroom mode. Um, Like, let's talk about life. Um, So uh, if the first thing was God made us for himself, Um, this is how we rejoice in God. Now we need to know, okay, what does rejoicing look like? What does that actually look like? And this psalm, it's so short, and it has a program. It has a program for rejoicing. So if we look at this psalm and we just look at the verbs, um, just what is it telling us to do? And it's telling us to make a joyful noise. Other translations talk about shouting. So shout. Uh, Verse 2, serve. Verse uh, verse 2 again, 
come into his presence. Verse 3, no. And then we get verse 4 is like all of them all together. There's enter his gates and enter his courts. Give thanks. Bless his name. Now, what's really interesting is if you count that and you don't um, double up in verse 4, you get 7. And in the Old Testament, when you get the number 7, just like watch out, um, be on your alert a little bit. This isn't, um, I'm not going to get weird into some number stuff. I know some people get really into that. Uh, there's a way to be interested in it that is not over the top. And so we're going to hopefully do that this morning. Um, so there, the Bible, the authors of Scripture were incredibly intentional about this kind of thing. So we look at Psalm 100, and we see seven times we're told what to do. This is what I mean when, like, this is a wake-up call to people who are asleep. It's like seven times. Can you imagine your friend, like, calling you seven times in the morning? At, like, whatever, it's an early time for you. Maybe it's, like, five is early or nine is early. You know, whatever is early time. <laughs> um, Psalm 100 is that friend. Um, seven times. And so here's what it goes. It, it starts with shouting, and it goes to, I'm going to walk away, serving, and then entering or coming into the presence, and then knowing, is in verse 3, and then we go, come, we go, give thanks, and then bless or sing praise. So what's the one in the middle? Is no. This is like the most important one, all right? If it's in the middle of seven, it's the most important one. So know that the Lord is God is like the first thing. Um, that is the most central thing to rejoicing in God, is to know him. It's the whole purpose. Uh, it's what rejoicing looks like. But the other thing is that it's not um, like we're being called to just go right to that. This is the graciousness of the Lord and his word, is that we're invited to take those steps. If you can't start with like, okay, I'm going to like dwell in God's presence and meditate, and I'm going to know him. If you can't start there, you can start with praise. What's praise? It's noticing something awesome and saying. That's how we give something. So we start there. The next thing is we give something. So we serve the Lord. We give thanks. We offer something. That's the next. And then next step, we come into the presence of the Lord. We acknowledge his presence, his nearness, and we dwell in it. And then the fruit of that is that we know the Lord is God. And on the way out, we, still, we do the same thing on the way out. We, we're still in his presence, and then we give thanks, and then we praise. So this is like the ebbing and flowing of the life of praise. It's back and forth, back and forth. And uh, it's like a muscle. We're training that muscle when we sing and when we praise. Um, so learning to praise is like training for a marathon. Uh, I have run, I think, a maximum five miles. <laughs> so if I were to try tomorrow, not today, uh, tomorrow to run a marathon um, and just do it, that'd be bad form. I would need a hospital. Um, but if, on the other hand, if I start to go slow and I say, okay, I'm going to run a mile and then I'm going to run a mile every day for like a week and then I'm going to run a mile and a half or two miles and I'm going to slowly build 
and eventually, and I mean, those of you who actually have done this are gonna be like, that's a terrible training program. <laughs> um, but I would, I would ask you. Um, so um, that's, it's like that, or it's like learning a language. Um, and you don't start by just reading, uh, like so when I was in seminary, I didn't just start by reading um, Plato's dialogues in Greek. I was like, okay, what is the verb for to be? <laughs> How do you say that? Yeah, so we start slow. And this is the psalm is inviting us to start slow. We just find, what's a small thing to praise? And how can we move from that to giving thanks? And how can we move from that to recognizing God's gift, his presence? And how, then we do that often enough, and we start to really know in our bones who God is. So this is, if the first thing was, how do we rejoice in God? And we, we, the first thing we say is, God made us to rejoice in him. The second thing is that uh, we practice the joy of God's people. We just practice this. This is what we are doing every week when we worship according to a liturgy. Um, we're getting formed in all sorts of ways, and the Psalms especially are helping us feel feelings in a wise way. So, okay, this week, homework. Um, And just say, that's awesome. That's cool. I had coffee this morning. It was really good. <laughs> right? And then, Lord, thank you for making these beans that we then crush up and then make coffee. Like, that's cool. And now, also, that's not the only thing you provided for me. There's been all sorts of provision along the way. And from there, we're able to rest in the knowledge that God is not just distant creator but he's always constantly providing. He's the kind of God who's always going to give you what you need. So just as a, a brief encouragement, um, and because I never pass up an opportunity to talk about C.S. Lewis, um, you're already doing this all the time. If you're like, man, this sounds new, you're already doing it all the time. So Lewis has a famous uh, essay where he talks about praise. And he's like, it always struck me as weird that people would talk about God like asking us to praise him. Sounds like he's like an egomaniac. Uh, why is he asking us to praise him? And his conclusion is that praise is just the like last step to enjoyment of anything. If I really love a movie, you know, fill the blank. I haven't seen any recent movies, so I don't know what movies to think of. But um, if, I, if I really love a movie and I, and I want to have the complete enjoyment of that, I'm going to talk to somebody about it and be like, this movie was amazing. Um, if I am really a big fan of a poet or a, a joke, and I don't get to share it with somebody who I think would appreciate it, there's something missing about that, and that's what he talks about. Um, he says the world rings with praise, and that we delight to praise not just because uh, praise merely expresses, but it completes our enjoyment of things. So we're doing this all the time, um, and I'll just say that when we praise God, um, when you're praising in this way, you're deepening your ability to enjoy God. And God, according to Lewis, is uh, that object, capital O, to admire which, or if you like, to appreciate which, is simply to be awake. It's to have entered the real world. Not these small steps of praise is to have lost the greatest experience. 
So these small steps of praise bring us into contact with reality, with true joy. And it's really a fulfillment of what the catechism says, that we were created to glorify God and enjoy him. And that is, in the words of the Heidelberg, that we belong to him, and that's, that's how we do that. So um, I just want to close with this. Uh, there's only been one person in history who was able to uh, both delight in being made by God and who also never left God's presence. Do you know who that is? Let's just do Sunday school. Who am I talking about? Jesus. Yeah. Jesus. Jesus rejoiced. Do you think of him as rejoicing? Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. We read in, in Luke 10 that he, uh, he rejoices in the Holy Spirit, and he says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. We also see that Jesus served the Lord with gladness. In, Saul, in Hebrews 10, Jesus, uh, well, the author of Hebrews says that when Christ came into the world, he said, quoting Psalm 40, so the Psalms again, Behold, I have come to do your will. And then, Jesus also is always in the presence of the Lord. He enters into the heavenly sanctuary, according to Hebrews. He blesses God. He gives thanks to him constantly. So what we're seeing is that Jesus fulfills Psalm 100. He does everything that we read about. And ultimately, what does he rejoice in? What is the thing that he rejoices in? Hebrews 12 says that for the joy that was set before him, he went to the cross. And he brought many to glory. So he delights and rejoices in us, in bringing us to glory. The joy of the Lord Jesus is for us to belong to him and to be with him. The joy of the Lord is our strength when we're too weak or worn out to praise. The joy of Jesus Christ will be complete when we're able to amen of the joy of the Lord. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks that you are a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that you're faithful to your promises, and that you made us, and we did not make ourselves. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us this week and evermore, to rejoice in you, to find avenues of praise and practices of blessing and worship, and that we would be the kinds of people who can feel all of the feelings that we have as created beings, but to do so towards you, before your presence, and delight ultimately in you and your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.